I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, the first season is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. Good evening. I'm Ellis Haystep, and I welcome you to another Soul episode. One of the miracles of this universe that we deal with is the way it can use something as cold and gray and as impersonal as an electron. These electrons that fill your television screen to bring you an experience as warm and as rich and as human as the program you're about to see. And we here at Seoul are extremely proud that we have been able to put together two programs, conversations between two brilliant and eloquent members of the black family, Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. Almost exactly 49 years ago, on what I can only imagine was a cold and wet night because it's London, y'all, and it's November. Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin spoke together for two hours. They spoke about love. They spoke about blackness. They spoke about men and women. They discussed expectations, futures, and what it is to write and create. This conversation was for Soul, a show that was more than a show. It was a platform, an act of resistance, a beautiful celebration of the art and the culture created by Black people. It was a powerful statement to the media of the time that said, this is how we wish to be seen. This is how we see ourselves and not how you so often portray us. James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni, and Ellis Hazlip are our elders, the foundations we build upon. Our work speaks to each other, and it echoes backwards and forwards through time. These thoughts, these conversations are the work we inherit, the burden we so willingly assume, and people like Lena are our present, but they are also our future, refusing to take anything less than the stories that they define bringing more chairs and tables to the party so that they can expand the room, laying the work that the next generation will stand on. So here it is, on two Novembers, almost 50 years apart, James Baldwin, Nikki Giovanni, myself, and the impressionable Lena Waite. How's your spirit? You know, I think um, it's still restless, though. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's because of the times or if that's just uh, the artist spirit. Yep. Always wondering, always questioning, always thinking. Precisely, precisely. After all, baby, we have survived the roughest game in the history of the world. Yeah. You know, we really have. No, no, no matter what we say against ourselves, you know, no matter what our limits and hang-ups are, <laughs> you know, we have come through some. We have come through something. You know, and if we can get this far, we can get further. You know, and we got this far by, by means which no one understands, including you and me. So we're only beginning to apprehend it, and you're a poet precisely because you are beginning to apprehend it and put it into a, into a form 
you know, which will be useful for your kid and his kid, you know, and for the world. Because we're not obliged to accept the world's definitions. No, we don't have to accept the world's definitions or its prescribed futures. We are envisioning them now, creating them with our freedom dreams, pushing back against the systems and the gatekeepers that have for too long controlled our images and our stories, tried to make us believe that we couldn't be visible and important to all audiences of the world, that our lives were so different from theirs, that tickets wouldn't be sold and empathy couldn't be built. Well, we are proving them wrong, writing ourselves into the archive, enriching the conversation, creating a visibility that is just as American, mainstream, and relevant as any other narrative. This particular episode is focused on futures, and you are somebody who is, in your everyday work, you are building out and really attempting to reshape Hollywood, reshape this entertainment industry. But the entertainment industry is an industry, right? Yes. And just like any other, like education field, healthcare, it too has its shit. Um, there's still systemic oppression and inequity within the, within the field. So what should we be imagining for the future of Hollywood, for the future of, of entertainment? I think the word that comes to mind is ownership. Mm. I think people think that when you sell a show, that's something to celebrate, which in essence, yes, it is. You get a show. But the truth is you're selling your intellectual property to a corporation that then owns it. There are people that make more money off of the shy than me. There are people that make more money off of 20s than me. Uh, there are people that are going to make more off of Queen and Slim than me. It is a system that is broken. And we, I do believe, are taking steps to change it. But we're a ways off. And um, I can be honest about that. I love what I do. I can't do anything else. This is what I was put here to do. So I'm, you know, I'm making the best of the situation. But, and, I'm, and I think what my mission is, is to help raise up the generation that will change it. Because I don't know if I will necessarily see it. But my hope is to spark the minds that will. And hopefully to encourage them and to empower them to, to really not be afraid of what freedom feels like because I hope that they get opportunity to feel that because right now even as a black artist I'm not free I'm not free to do whatever I want because I don't want my community to get too upset you know I don't want you know I'm trying to it's like how far can I go with the the other communities so there's definitely you know we got we got there's restrictions on us and that saddens me for the future my hope is we can get freer as artists and do things that, you know, take risks and, and uh, ruffle feathers. And we'll also be able to ride out the storm. But what is more important is not so much riding out the storm for you, Nikki, and me, Jimmy, mm -hmm. you know. But in my mind's eye, there's always that kid. He's going to be here when you're gone. Oh, yeah. You know, Hopefully. And when I'm long gone. And from my point of view is... It is about the children. It is about the children. We have to give the children something, which in a way was after all given to us, though we had to learn how to translate it. Because your kid will be moving in a very different world than the one in which I grew up, which you won't know anything about at all, or the world in which you grew up, which will be remote for him, and yet he comes out of it 
and has got to carry it much further than you or I will be able to carry it. He's got to have respect for it but not be trapped by it. Precisely. You have to give both give it to him and liberate, it, liberate him from it. And they did. Nikki Giovanni, James Baldwin, and so many others have given us so much. Their wisdom, their struggle, their love, and their pain. They pushed us, push us still, towards our futures in Hollywood and beyond. And I mean, I just, the this, this speaking of truth is, is exactly what we need in a moment like this, especially in Hollywood. Yeah, for sure. Especially in Hollywood. So, especially in Hollywood, because Hollywood is a reflection of our society. Absolutely. It reflects the fantasy. In certain, in certain instances, it reflects the reality. Mm-hmm. But it is a mirror that we hold up. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, it's right there. Birth of a nation, gone with the wind. Mm-hmm. These things li- are living testaments of what our country has, has been and continues to be. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being a missionary trying to save um, America. <laughs> but I do, know that, I do know that we have paid too much for it to be able to abandon it. We can never abandon it. I don't think that that's a question, because where else are we going to go? I mean, nobody else wants us. Well, in any case, in, in, any case in any case, my father and my father's fathers paid too much for it. I've paid too much for it. I'm yes. only 28. Yes. <laughs> I deserve it, you know, to do whatever I want to do with it. So what do we want to do with it? What do you want to do with it? What roles, what stories, what narratives do we need to create? And who is coming to write that future? What will it look like? Which is why I love this idea of the future, right? You have a vision. What is your vision? Or I'm going to steal a term from um, this scholar, Robin D.G. Kelly. He uses freedom dream instead of vision. What is your freedom dream for an entertainment industry that is free of all of the many things you just talked about, free of systemic inequity, free of just male dominance? Mm Mm-hmm. Free of, you know, white supremacy, um, free of like the elevation of straight people, of cis people. What, what is your freedom dream for, for this industry? What would that look like? Ooh. It would look like what America claims it is. It would be a reflection of that. To me, what our population is should look like what our movies and TV shows and podcasts and, you know, cartoons and video games. It should be a mirror. Mm-hmm. And right now, if you only looked at movies and film and TV, you would think that, yes, Black people exist, but only in small portions. You would think that Indigenous people are invisible. You would think that Asian American people are only, there's only like three of them. Right. You would think that they're, that the, the Latino community is over here. Like, is it the, what we have, what we're showing back is a reflection of the people that are in charge of greenlighting things. It is a reflection of them and what they seem, what they deem fit for us to see. And my freedom dream is that there is something for everyone to see, mm. that we reflect back at ourselves. What I'm trying to get at is my apprehension anyway, the crisis of this age, you know, and the crisis is something you do with identity, and that is something you do with buried histories. Mm-hmm. Not merely our histories have been buried, but as we said before, when I was talking about, you know, the thing, I, my homework on Brixton, 
doing homework on the English working class. That is from Barry too. No, we were talking about liberation. We were talking about writing. And that liberation can look like writing our way out of others' perceptions of what we are and how we exist. Writing our own stories. Telling our own truths. Representing our love. The way we experience it. Our families. The way we know them to be. Others' stigma as another oppression we don't wish to bear. This might look like a Black lesbian rom-com. A celebration of the queer and gay Black men we lost to AIDS in the 80s. Two Black men in love and all of the other endless ways we choose to show up and express ourselves in the world. Stories as proof of life. Stories as freedom. You are already doing the work of reimagining and building. Talk a little bit about the work you're doing, um, your, your company, the, the sort of what, what you see as your impact in, the, in, in Hollywood now. I think what I'm doing, I think it does seem radical in a weird way. Even though it does, it's not radical to me. And it shouldn't have to be, right? Yeah. Like, shouldn't that be the norm? <laughs> I, I think that, um, I, I love the movie Any Given Sunday. There's a moment where Jamie Foxx's character, Willie Beeman, is uh, talking about being a successful Black person. I'm not going to just leave it to males, but a successful Black person. And he's saying how Black kids are sort of raised to be into, like, stars. They're raised to be, like, the shit. And black folks got a lot of swag. We do. And I think sometimes there's this idea of we can sometimes have individualism. It's like, I am me. This is I. And I think that when black folks, when we're at our best is when we, when we come together as community. That's why I love the term black community. I can't think about black without thinking about community. And there are even people within the Black community, like, we don't all get along. We don't all think the same. We're not always all on the same page. But in my opinion, we all are part of the same family, whether we like it or not. And what I try to lead with is love, is love, is, is support. And I, and I, there's sometimes I do see stuff in people and I look at someone and I go, mm, you, okay, I see something in you. How can I be helpful? What can I do to help you reach your highest potential? Because that makes me feel purposeful. Money is cool, but I can't take it with me. What I really hope to leave behind are connections. I want to improve people's lives. It isn't even a question of keeping yourself happy. You know, it's a question of keeping yourself in relation to, in some kind of clear relationship, more or less, to the force which feeds you. You know, some days you're happy, some days you ain't. But as long as we can manage to, to deal with it on the simplest you know, level, right. just to bear in mind that this person facing you is a person like you, you know. Yeah. They're going to go home and do whatever they do, just like you. They're as alone as you are, you know. Because that becomes a responsibility, doesn't it? Well, it's called love. Yeah. <laughs> you know. We agree. <laughs> yeah. Love is a tremendous responsibility. It's the only one to take. There isn't any other. And the words that I love is purpose. Like the word purposeful. And I think to me is, I just try not to think about 
myself as an individual. I think about myself belonging to a bigger and greater community, even when that community is mad at me, Mm. even when that community holds me accountable, even when that community takes me to task. But I am nothing without that community. So, and that's really what Hillman Grad is all about. Hillman Grad is speaking to the community that was Debbie Allen, that was Jasmine Guy, that was Susan Fells Hill, who now runs, show runs 20s. You know, a show that Gina Prince-Bythewood was staffed on, who I was once her assistant. Reggie Bythewood, who was her husband, who also wrote on that show, was a, a mentor, a true mentor of mine. You know, so that show about community, created by a Black community, inspired me to walk in my purpose. Mm -hmm. So how could I have Hillman Productions without the Hillman Mentorship Program? That to me would be irresponsible. And so what my company tries to do is really give a, a safe space for creatives who don't really fit in anywhere, for people, for those creatives that don't really know where to go. We want them to come in and just be their complete selves and nothing else and let the audience find them. So that's really what Hillman Grad is about. And I think the 40-year-old version, uh, Rada Blank's film. Come on, film, Rada. Come on. It's a prime example of that. Yes, it is. That's a movie that I put not only my heart into, but my money into yes. it as well. You know, I can't just, in, I invest in her as a human being emotionally, but I also put my money where my heart is and where my soul is and where my belief is. And for her to have that movie, she said to me, she's like, I want to shoot it in black and white. I want to shoot it on film. I want to direct it. I want to star in it. I said, say less. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's get it done. And we went to Sundance and she walks away with Best Director, only the yes. second black woman to do that. That's second right. to Ava DuVernay, who I also assisted on her first feature film. Yes. Again, this is community. We are all connected, whether we like it or not. And so for me, and what the 40-year-old version did was it, to me, what was, because you can look at the success of that movie. It got nominated for Gotham Awards, and I think mm -hmm. it's going to have a very long life. But what's really amazing to me is that it changed Rada's narrative. She went from someone who was an aspiring filmmaker to a filmmaker. Yeah. And that, I've realized, was, is my true legacy. You know, it's like Queen and Slim, Shy, 20s, will be a part of it. But Rada making her first movie, whether it goes to Sundance or not, is one of my greatest accomplishments, helping her do that. She's a force. But my thing is, like, how many Radas can I get to? How many yous can I touch? You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it's limitless. That's what drives me. Yes, I love writing. Yes, I love making stuff. But I love more watching someone who dreamed about a thing walk into that reality. And also, too, if I can also speak candidly, that's not where I let go of their hand. Because when a dream becomes reality, that's when things get difficult. Yeah. Because once you change your narrative, so many other things in your life change as well. And oftentimes, people aren't always ready for the change that walking in your purpose rather than just thinking about it can do to one's psyche. That's right. So it's bigger than making it because there's no such thing. Walking in your purpose is an ongoing marathon. So that's also a part of what I try to 
talk to people about. Like, be less concerned about the finished product and the red carpet and being able to tell people that didn't deem you worthy of importance that, oh, you important now because you got your movie made. Mm -mm. That hole still ain't going to be full. So that's also, I think, a part of my work, too, is talking to people who have sort of made it because those are the people that are most troubled. That's so real. And I can say that speaking from experience, yeah. Lena is leading with her love and she's building community. She's envisioning the future and creating the bridges we need to get us there. But we can't have our futures without our past. They teach us much about power, identity, and context. You know what I mean? And what do we need to do to ensure that the history and contributions of Black artists are fully captured and added to the archives and entertainment, right? What's missing pretty much now? Um, And how do we expand representation in such a way that those stories can be added, right? Like you're doing the Sammy Davis Jr. project, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You're reaching back to the past, you know, so that, and one, there should be so many Sammy Davis Jr. projects, right? I know. There's some. There's a couple cooking. We, we, you know, we'll see who, who makes it to the finish line. Yeah. There's a way that our future is overly reliant also on us acknowledging our past. So how do you, what, how do we bring these past stories that have been missing from this archive in Hollywood into the future um, work that we're trying to do? I think it's a really beautiful question. I think the onus is on us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to honor those that really, to say laid the footprints isn't even enough. They really, they birthed us. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, it came out of a set of assumptions. You know, which a boy 21, that's what I was then, had to fight if he was going to live at all. You know, you know. Because what you couldn't accept was that pain. You couldn't accept that past as being your present and still more your future. You know, you had to find some way of dealing with it. Of dealing with it. And to deal with it meant you had to find another vocabulary. You had to, you had to risk your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to risk it all. You had to go for bro. You know, which, which both Chester and Richard. Now I can did. see. Now I can see. What I owe to Richard. What I owe to Chester. What I owe to Langston. What I owe to W.E.B. Du Bois. What I owe to Frederick Douglass. But I could not see that when I was 20. There are so many of us that are not here without their contributions, without their sacrifice, without their pain, without their struggle, without their trauma we get a chance to benefit from it and we don't thank them enough. And there are those that have disappeared into the ether. There are those that have been forgotten. And I think that what we have to do is continue to educate ourselves, to continue to look back. There's this amazing documentary called Mr. Soul. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen it yet. Oh my God, it's phenomenal. It's all about this amazing show that just featured poets like Nikki Giovanni. They're the ones that, that yes. I don't know if you've seen that, that conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin. Yes. That was on a show called uh, Soul. But, you know, but it's just an amazing doc about 
you know, he was a queer black man. He had the last poets on. He had, you know, Nicky Giovanni. He he mm-hmm. featured so many artists doing really just forward thinking before their time type of shit. And that filmmaker making that documentary has now educated me because I love that conversation between Nicky Giovanni and James Baldwin. Yeah. And, but I didn't know from whence it came. Mm-hmm. So watching the documentary, not only did I find out, oh, there was this show called Soul, and they did stuff like this, and I know the story. And, and, and to know that a queer black man orchestrated that conversation. So for me, that filmmaker who's amazing, she is doing the thing that we're talking about. She's making sure that this man who put this show on does not get ignored. He's now no longer invisible to me because of her. So that's what I mean when the onus is on us. You know, me watching some PBS documentary special, whatever, about Bayard Rustin. That's right. Like, the people made sure that he would not be invisible to me. And because more people continue to speak his name, he does not get forgotten about. People, More and more people are saying his name. Once enough people started whispering it, they say, hey, you know, the, the architect behind the March on Washington was this guy. Like, it starts to happen. So we have to speak our ancestors' names because forgetting them, we forget ourselves. Their names on our lips, their connection to our work is how we breathe life into our archives, ensuring that we fight to see ourselves on screen. And in Lena's case, our literal selves, our own likeness, the reminder of what has been absent from the room, and that there are so many stories that we need to tell. Black lesbian romance, queer love, the trans male experience, thriving with HIV, and so many more. What was the first moment that you saw yourself represented on on screen? Did you see yourself represented wow. on screen? And what stories do you think you you and like if there is a story, what does that story look like? The one in the future with the two black mm. um, lesbian sisters loving on each other in a rom com. Like what what do we need to see? Mm. Wow, um, it's interesting because I saw glimpses of myself in media. I saw glimpses of myself the first time Celie and Suge kissed. Oh, yes. Uh, I see glimpses of myself and women at Brewster's Place, mm-hmm. the lesbian couple, you know. I saw a glimpse of myself when they finally had a black character on the L word. Her name was Tasha. She was in the military. <laughs> I saw a glimpse of myself in Cleo, you know, when she was funny and silly and, and when she died on her feet. Yes. So I've seen glimpses of myself. And I literally saw myself on screen with Master of None. And and we I, loved to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realize how important it was that I be on that screen. That's right. And so for, for this queer Black girl who is masculine presenting, or as a child, they call you a tomboy. Mm-hmm. As I get older, I become a stud. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how important it was for my community. For my community, there goes that word again. Yes. That masculine presenting black community that is so vast and so beautiful that I'm honored to be a part of when they and I think that's why I'm I stand in the space that I stand in and there there is a a bit of a protection around me because they're like this is ours you belong to us <laughs> and and I'm grateful to belong to them and I make it my business when I see another one of us like a Sam J or Jojo, Janika Tibbs, who was on 20, like, I'm, to reach out and say, hey, 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 what's up? I just want to say hi. Yeah. I want to say hello. You know, because, you know, I, I want to learn 
also from the mistakes of those that came before me that maybe didn't reach out or didn't know how and, and didn't have the freedom to be out, you know what I mean? I got to be out for those that can't be. And that is the gift. I have a last question, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about future, and I think about all the stories that we have yet to see. You know, we interviewed Eddie Ndupu, who was a mentee of mine and a mm. Black, queer, disabled advocate who um, is in South Africa, who's about to be the first physically disabled person to travel into space. Wow. Right? Come through. Like, I want to see Eddie's story on screen. Come you on. You know, I want to see this Black, queer yeah. person who talks so beautifully about what it means for someone who has been in a wheelchair mm-hmm. all of his life has to go to space in order to sort of defy gravity so he can finally mm. move from the from the wheelchair and just float in the wow. air as he says with his with his bottle of Dom Perignon right come on you know I, you know I talked to um, Ben Corey Jones on here and both he and Lee Daniels are like you know what stories we haven't seen like where's the story about those black gay men who were fighting to live and, and fighting to sort of push against HIV and AIDS in the, in the 80s and the 90s. Mm. Like, where's that story? Right. We see Harvey Milk's story, right? We see these stories of white gays mm. who have been impacted by HIV. You don't see, like, the stories about Joseph Beam and um, Marlon Riggs and all of these brothers, this whole generation that have been taken from us, right? Like, mm-hmm. where is that story of, like, mm. that Black lesbian Oh, the masculine yeah. of center person who maybe is an artist, maybe maybe she's a painter, maybe they are mm-hmm. a painter, right? Like yeah. so, in the future, and I know you have so many ideas percolating, right? But like, what are some of those stories you want to see on the screen? Well, yeah, I mean, those stories are so necessary. Stories are so, I think, revolutionary is you know, not even the right word. It doesn't even describe it. Those stories are human and real, and we need them. And I think that I can envision a million of those stories, some of which I'm, you know, going to get out there and make something happen, trying. But, you know, it's it's, a... and, and, and some things I got up my sleeve, so stay tuned. But yes. I do believe in showing queer Black love as less than perfect. Yes. If you're a writer, you're forced to look behind the word and do the meaning of the word. You know? Do you the got... actions produced by the word. Yes. Yes. You're responsible for what that word means. I agree. You know? You have to find a way to use that word to liberate the energy in that word. So it has a positive effect on the, on, the, on the lives of people. There is such a thing as a living word. I think there is that thing that comes with queerness and blackness, that they, they sometimes equate it with saintliness. Mm. Because they say, oh, because you are so othered, you are so marginalized, you have to be angelic. You have to have it all figured out. You have to be perfect. And that is really the battle I think I fight all the time, which is don't make me holy. That's right. Because I'm not. I am human. Don't hold me to standards in which you do not live by yourself. And so I think to me it's important that we show us, our queer black bodies, as just that. 
bodies that are made of skin and bone and, uh, you know, and insecurities and joy and hunger and pain and laughter and all of those things. Because I think this, this desire to wipe away black pain on the screen is to diminish a part of us because You're talking. it is, you know, I experience both pain and joy. You know, I can only tell you about yourself as much as I can face about myself, you know. It's happened to everybody who's tried to live, you know, you go through your life for a long time, you think that no one has ever suffered the way I've suffered, you know. My God, my God. And then you realize, you read something, you hear something, and you realize that your suffering does not isolate you. That your suffering is your bridge. Mm-hmm. That many people have suffered before you. Many people are suffering around you. And always will. And all you can do is bring, hopefully, a little light into that suffering. Enough light so that the person who is suffering can begin to comprehend his suffering and begin to live with it and begin to change it, to change the situation. It's interesting because the idea to want to be joyful all the time is to be detached from reality. And I don't want that for myself, nor do I want that for the characters that I create. So when it comes to Black queer stories, I want them to be just as imperfect, just as dramatic, just as complicated as the white straight stories have the freedom to be. You solved it for me because it's something you keep hearing. And they always say, well, why why should the artist be free to do what he wants to do when nobody else is? The artist is not free to do what he wants to do. The artist is free to do what he has to do. And in fact, everyone else should pursue along those lines. That's wild. I hadn't thought about it that way. I've been having revelations a lot lately. It's a personal thing. Freedom to be. Freedom. Be free. The freedom to write complex characters, to inhabit our own definitions, to be imperfect, to reflect joy and pain. That is a freedom dream. That is a future. And that is what Lena creates. The work of being seen, of this conversation, of Lena, of James and Nikki, and that soul started as far from finished. And people who have moved us forward, like Lee Daniels, Saeed Jones, Luke James, and all the others from this season must be spoken of, must be shared and celebrated. So should Alice Hazlip, the creator of Soul. He was a Black queer man who loved himself, who loved his people, and who believed that entertainment and media could be transformative. He knew that putting Black artistry and creation on the main stage was a revolutionary act, just as we know it here now. This is a necessary freedom, and one that isn't yet won. These endless acts of self-definition transform the creator and the viewer. They hold a power that has too long been denied. So let's write the roles, claim the distribution, Make space in the room, define the images, express with our own voice, demand the portrayals, reject stigma, and let our gazes only fall on the ones that speak our authentic truths so we can be seen as we wish to be by the world, but most importantly, by ourselves. Mm-hmm.
That's awful. We're supposed to be arguing. <laughs> they blew this gig. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Goofed again. No, I think love is an answer, but you have to be logical about it. Yeah. Well, it's another way. Of, you know, of course, you know, logical. You, you you say logical, rational. I say clear. You know, it comes the same thing. No, you can't be romantic about it. No, you can't be romantic about love. That's all. No. <laughs> I think. Do you think we are? Yeah. You asked you asked the loaded question, the one that you. I asked the loaded. You did it. You did. Ask, you did ask the loaded question. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Being Seen is produced by Harley & Company and Darnell Moore and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney. 